In our last two episodes, the first two of a three-part series, we began a conversation with John Awada, Brittany Paxman, and Dan Nessel about generative AI, what it is and why it matters to our profession. Today, we're wrapping up with our discussion on its implications for our profession and for the world at large. If you haven't already listened to the first two episodes, I suggest checking those out first. And if you have, great, let's get to it. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Rivet360 has been working with Paige to bring you The New CCO for more than six years. And that goes way beyond just editing and production. They're true thought partners, helping us develop our show's unique voice and identity, brainstorm ideas, and tell, well, riveting stories. To me, that's what makes them and our show so special. They're storytellers, first and foremost. And as communicators, I know we can all appreciate the value of a story well told. So if you're thinking about launching a podcast, or you have one that needs some fresh ideas, visit rivet360.com to book a free consultation. I want to try to put on the prognosticators glasses here. Um, We're still really early days in AI. Like, I feel like it's only been a matter of months since we've been tinkering around with ChatGPT. And the speed of change makes it difficult to feel like you can predict even a year or two out, right? Because who knows what's coming. But I know each of you thinks often and deeply about where this is all going. And I want to ask you what your thoughts are on that. If you could look out three years, four years, and in particular at the future of our profession, what do you foresee? It's very difficult to see what's going to happen three, four years, five years from now. Uh, but I, th- my gut, I suppose, or just what I'm what I'm seeing uh, among marketers and communicators who are using these technologies, who are adopting AI is this kind of creation of almost the, I think the, everyone's a Batman or Batgirl. Like everybody has this utility belt now of these incredible tools and, and capabilities available to them, but it's useless without, without having the muscle behind it. I mean, you know, so looking at all the kind of tools and the, the, the um, technologies that are ready and, and, have zero barrier to entry. Everybody now has the opportunity to kind of evolve and develop their career or their skill set in the develop in the area that they want to. So I think the future of our profession is is kind of um, I'm very optimistic. I, I think that those who embrace the, the create at least the creative side of these tools and who, who start to say, well, you know what, I was never a research person, but look at this. I now have code interpreter. That's opening up a whole lot of new territory for me. You know, and every time that happens, that having that, as Brittany said, that 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 learning skill, you know, we can create a whole new set of roles and a whole new set of 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 kind of services and ways to 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 serve our our stakeholders. That said, it definitely uh, doesn't bode well for numbers. I think, right? So. There's a lot of folks in the profession. There's a lot of people who come in, who get into communications um, at an early stage. They're good writers. They, they, they're, they're inquisitive. Maybe they're journalists. Maybe they want to be journalists and they understand that the journalist profession is, is, is very difficult to break through. Now they switch over to agency. Those agency jobs are disappearing at that level. So there's a great hollowing out happening at those lower levels, I believe. And we're going to have to figure out how to cope with that. 
So at the senior levels and the upper levels, people have already kind of gotten to this point of understanding, or at least feeling like we understand the environment more. Um, we can interpret. We have a we have a, a very big basis of knowledge where we can make decisions and interpretations based on what we're seeing, and then we can figure out new ways to guide and and, and lead these tools. But if you've never uh, seen a written an annual report, how do you know how to instruct an AI to help you create an annual report? You just don't. So what are we going to do? There's there is a whole education piece, and uh, a a I think a, a new kind of a new look we need to take at what are the what's the lifeblood of our profession what is the the pipeline look like and what is the tolerance for learning um before we demand so much production um these are questions that need to be answered so you know that i think i think it's a wide open kind of question a wide open future but everything it is going to change and we need to be ahead of it in terms of the future of our profession i think that there are going to be increased demands, increased uh, expectations around uh, writing, around design, and around stakeholder management. I think stakeholders will expect more and better, more transparent communication. And I think that these tools can enable it. In terms of what it means for the people in the profession, my bias, and this has been my bias for a long time, is I'm... I think it's a. I think it means that generalists will be really important and more valuable, uh, because, and we are in a world of specialists. Especially the marketing profession has really moved towards specialization. I mean, you see some of these job descriptions, and it's like we need a social media paid media buyer for Instagram in the mornings. Right? It's like very specific roles. And that early specialization, I think, creates a lot of silos and problems. And this type of technology, and just in general, the proliferation of technology and the advancement of technology means that people that have a wider aperture have the opportunity to make connections that people who maybe have a more narrow role won't see. And so I think for the Communications has always been more of a generalist profession than, say, marketing. And I think that potentially means that communications has a really big opportunity in this moment to see connections because we have this skill set that other functions in the enterprise don't have. And that's that skill set of drawing connections. Um, so I want to do a shout out to a book called Range, Why Specialist Triumph or Generalist Triumph in a Specialized World by David um, Epstein. I think it's really excellent. And anyone who's managing people or coaching or trying to develop people, I, I would highly recommend it because it's really about why that broader aperture and the ability to be nimble is so important to uh, success. If it's true that AI is uh, represents a level of enterprise transformation as the internet did, then the future requires that CCOs as a member of the C-suite um, argue that point of view with, um, uh, with their peers and with the CEO that um, yes, we're gonna get some back office uh, productivity uh, or rather just some productivity and automation from, the, from AI, but are we thinking about this as an opportunity or threat to the core business model? And are we looking broadly across the front and back offices to ensure that 
whether it's HR or the Treasury Department or sales, every part of our enterprise is taking advantage, if possible, from the new technology. So within the function, you know, um, we, we've heard some great insights here about how it's going to change communications. But I think as for the CCO specifically, they should play that role of of bringing that point of view into the executive committee so they don't miss it, right? They don't miss it the way so many miss the internet as we previously discussed. Um, secondly, specific to communications, it's, it's difficult. You know, did anybody, when they saw Steve Jobs stand on stage holding up the iPhone say, well, there go cab drivers. Um, uh, no, right? Did anybody anticipate Airbnb, Spotify, in, and the rest? No. But we have the benefit of that. You see, we had the benefit of saying that while we can anticipate the specific, we need to be on the lookout for how there are like secular shifts here, specific to communications. Could we have anticipated that social media and the internet would disintermediate traditional media? And, and introduce at least two new things that we take for granted in communications practice today. Directly going with our messages and content, directly going and not having to rely on the gatekeepers to tell our story. You can't be in communications today without having the capability of creating your own content and understanding the right channels to get the content out and understanding the new influencers out there, right? You can't. You'd be a dinosaur today if you said, well, let's call the Wall Street Journal and the F. I mean, who, yeah. It, 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 but that, that, that could have been anticipated um, as an example. Um, and the other is the threat that social media, when something blows up on social that is threatening to your brand or to your leadership or what have you, that you need to have very good response mechanisms. So what's the equivalent for AI? Let's start with the latter case. If CCOs and their teams are not today running scenarios of what they're going to do in the response to a deep fake attack, they're going to be caught short. This is easily foreseeable. This is inevitable that a deep fake attack is going to occur to a major brand. And, and you cannot be caught flat-footed there. So treat it like any other crisis response. Be proactive, run the scenarios, have a backup plan, know who to reach, who to contact, line up your forensic experts now, because the first question that's going to be asked is, is what we're reading, seeing, or hearing real? And if you say, I don't know, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be replaced one day. So don't don't let that happen to you. So that's just good brand protection and reputation management. And the other is as fast as you can, you know, have you and your teams and your agencies insist that they start to experiment and explore, you know, what what the technology is capable of. And that's been commented on already. And I just couldn't, you know, agree with that more. Listening to John, um, I, I wanted to just point out. I think that there's a couple other trends that. Um, are going to affect the level of influence that our, that the communications profession potentially has, but also the roles that we have to play within organizations and even even as individuals. And this is the, t- to me actually, it's it's the changes in behavior that our our stakeholders are are going to be or are experiencing already that we need to kind of deal with. 
um, and the changes to, I think, marketing as a whole. And to me, it's like it's a couple of major things. The first, the first is change in search. So we're moving away from search to chat. So what it, it's a tactical issue, really. But that means we really need to rethink the way that we structure our websites. And we need to think about, about how, we, uh, how we create or, or, or post content or if websites are even necessary anymore. And, you know, which parts of websites are going to be elevated versus, versus the way that they are now. Like about sections are going to be way more important than they have been. So we in communications have a really important role to play here because the content needs to be written in a very non-marketing style. It has to be, it has to be conversational and conversation is our superpower as, as communicators. So understanding how to create narratives and draft and create uh, uh, content in that manner is going to be a mission critical, um, I think, a, a point for corporate infrastructure and for, for digital infrastructure. The second thing is the migration, I think, of our audiences and our stakeholders away from the visible to the invisible. So you can't, increasingly, you can't reach Gen Z. You can't. They're, they have, you know, unless you're, you're running kind of uh, these like Insta ads, uh, you know, you're generally speaking, it's very difficult to reach them with advertising. Um, and even, you know, they're not necessarily adopting, uh, email so much yet. Although I think, I think that's, that's going to happen more. They're moving to dark social and places that you can't reach them. You can't measure them. Um, how do you get in front of them? How do you influence? How do you, uh, how do you get involved or how do you create competing platforms that are inviting enough for them. And, you know, AI is not the answer to that, but AI is a huge enabler of this because in, in order to be, in order to, uh, to create the amount of content that you're going to need to have, you know, to have happy subscribers and to have, um, a really good, um, you know, additional platforms perhaps. And I don't know what those look like yet. You're going to need a lot, a lot of content to make that all work. And, um, you know, there's not enough, enough people or funding really to make that viable. So, I mean, you know, AI is a very good enabler of that kind of thing. And, you know, I think where it's all leading is as our, as, as Mark Schaefer, a friend of page and, and my friend and, you know, uh, author of, um, and I can't recommend this book enough belonging to the brand, um, why community is the last great marketing strategy. You know, I think it's all heading towards community and what can, what can community be to us? I mean, it's a, it's an old concept. It's not new, but how can communicators, and CCOs specifically own communities that are, you know, that are sort of branded or that that are that welcome brands. And I think the I think the CCO has the role to play here um, again because communities are based on relationships, they're based on trust, and they're based on purpose, they're based on mission, they're based on um, on on conversation and and authenticity. And frankly, marketers haven't been historically very good at that, um, whereas communicators. I think have a lot to offer there um, and mixes of both marketing and communications, of course. I think that's part of what the future of CCO is, what the future of our roles are here in, in, our, in our great grand profession, which is going to meld and, meld and merge and everything with marketing more and more um, as we go forward. I want to turn, John kind of mentioned this a moment ago. I feel like we need to talk about the risks and the need for regulation to rein in or manage some of those risks. John, at the sort of societal or civil level, I know the Data and Trust Alliance is advocating for 
regulation standards, adoption of practices that protect the integrity of people's privacy and data. When you're thinking about the risks that these forms of AI pose, things like deep fakes, like you uh, mentioned a moment ago, uh, what sorts of regulation do you think need to be put in place? It's, it's early to, to suggest what those might be, but there are some principles that I think represent the views of most of the members of the Data and Trust Alliance. And in, in, some, in some of the things I'll mention here, they are reactions to some contemplated regulation in the EU and to some degree the United States and other, other places. One is the uh, notion to regulate not the technology, not the core technology, but regulate uses of the technology based on risk. And this is not new in regulation, right? If, if you're going to impact people's health or children or, or public safety or civil liberties, that's a higher risk use series of use scenarios or use cases that need to be, that could be regulated before you deploy a technology. I mean, we take that for granted, say, in, in drugs, in, in food and drugs today, right? There's a different threshold for food than there is for pharmaceuticals, and that represents a difference. You know, you're both ingesting things, right? But the use cases have a different spectrum of risk. And I think most of the companies that we work with are in favor of that kind of regulation um, of various of, of one form or another. Another is who regulates. And uh, we, I think most of the companies in the alliance would favor not creating a new regula- regulator, regulatory body, but, but enforcing and insisting upon the existing regulators to, uh, to, to consider appropriate implications of AI to what they already regulate. For example, there are regulators who regulate, you know, the transportation industry. And, and with autonomous vehicles, a reality, uh, it, it makes eminent sense for them to, to consider AI uh, in, in, that, in that regulatory body. And equal opportunity, the EEOC already exists. The Department of Labor already exists. So the degree to which AI could, could create harms when it comes to workforce practices, it makes sense to have those, regulator, those regulators uh, retain responsibility, um, but add to their, to their purview you know, the new. Um, and, I, and I think that, that those are just two examples here of not regulating the core technology, because it's impossible, because it, the risk there is that you're going to limit innovation and breakthroughs. But, but do think about use cases through a risk lens. And the other is don't create more bureaucracy, yet another regulator, uh, use what exists today. Dan, what about at the corporate level? You know, some of the risks that I hear about are, you know, copyrights protections and things like that. What, what are you thinking about in terms of protecting your company against risks like that? I think we're, we're continuing to think of the same things that we've thought about, just to get, it's accelerated. And it's, you know, it's as if it's like what John said earlier, it's, it's about like understanding that, you know, deep fakes are out there and, uh, and, the potential to create, you know, uh, I guess, damaging content or be damaged by things um, should be treated with, I guess, uh, the, what we know as communicators and as as solid uh, crisis comms practices, and that's still important. But as far as regulation goes, I think it's going to get be a game of whack a mole from this point forward. I, I 
I don't know if um, if regulation is going to help or hurt. I agree with John that you know the, the tendency to react will actually uh, squelch innovation. At the same time, there are bad actors out there. So how do you make those those discern? How do you discern the good from the bad? And you know, at the corporate level, the only thing we the, the things that we can do, of course, are you know establish our own copyright guidelines. We we talked about this earlier. We we don't want to use things. We don't use use images created from by uh, that may be based on somebody else's images. You know, there's there's too many loose ends there. We don't want to plagiarize content. We don't want to make. We want to make sure that our own proprietary content is not put out there into the universe and then used by a bad actor. So you know, there's there are there's self regulatory issues. I think that we need to deal with. But I think we're still trying to we're still sorting all that stuff out. I, I, I I'm hesitant to kind of like predict where this is going. Um, but I, I do think it's going to, it's going to continue to be a pitch battle, uh, I think, and get, get more and more. So, you know, it's interesting that, that open AI recently just stopped its, um, its AI detector, you know, um, activities. It's kind of impossible or it's getting less and less possible to detect those fakes and to detect AI. So how can a regulator regulate that? It's, it, it speaks of either incredible um, kind of privacy violation issues, policing issues. I, I wouldn't know where to begin really with, with how far they can go or how far they need to go. Um, so really, I think self-policing, self-regulation on a corporate side is about, and I'm speaking primarily about corporations, is, is, is the kind of way we need to go. So this kind of, Dan, comes back to, to the point you made earlier about critical thinking. I think Brittany made this point as well. If you can't foresee, you know, and protect against every instance of this, the ability of people to distinguish true from false or right from wrong becomes more important. I mean, I I think that we still have to game it out. Like like every corporation, certainly every, anybody who's involved with risk management with, uh, with in communications with crisis and with brand risk, do the same thing you've always done. Uh, scenario planning, understanding the the threats that are out there, create your 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 risk analysis and your threat matrices and whatever method you choose, stay on top of it. And I think it may take more, uh, in the, at least the near term, um, more kind of resources to to stay on top of this than it has in the past, um, of course. But it's the, the you know r- good risk management practices and, and good crisis. Uh, management and reputation management practices cannot be underestimated, but you have to accelerate now, you know, kind of expand the remit, look deeper into what might be out there and approach everything with suspicion and critical thinking, as you said. I mean, you know, I, I can deep fake myself. I have, I went to 11 labs. I have my voice. I can do myself reading anything. It sounds better than me, which is how you know it's AI because <laughs> there's no ums and ahs, but it is, uh, it, it, it's easy. Um, and knowing that it's easy, I think we have to also understand that it's easy to perpetrate some bad things too. Brittany, what are you advising clients? So I might draw a connection between what John said and what uh, Dan said, that kind of taking from the society perspective and bringing that into the corporation. I think one big area of risk is AI maybe accidentally violating existing regulations. So when I think about some the regulatory framework. One area I want to see is just existing regulations enforced. 
And I'll give you a, a concrete example that I think many CCOs can relate to. A lot of companies have pricing algorithms that are quite AI driven. You can think about sports teams, uh, hotels, and essentially as demand increases, the price will go up. You know, tickets will get more expensive if a lot of people are buying the ticket or hotel prices will get more expensive as uh, inventory goes down. Right. And that I think makes a lot of sense, right? Supply and demand. We'd all kind of probably say, oh yeah, that's generally a good use case. But if you're a hotel company, and your algorithm starts to push prices up as a hurricane approaches. Well, now you're price gouging, right? And very likely you didn't build a mechanism for that into the AI or into the algorithm because you just told it maximize the price while minimizing available inventory. Like you kind of told it to do those two things. So I think a big role of of communications and of the CCO is poking around the company and, and trying to find those gaps, poking around and saying, thinking about the regulations that your company is most vulnerable to, and then essentially playing devil's advocate and saying, how could our technology put us at risk there? Because it is not only a regulatory risk, it is absolutely also a reputational risk. If you are price gouging during a natural disaster, that's going to look really bad for your company, even if it was an accidental oopsie. You have really major implications. So what we're counseling our clients on from a risk perspective, yes, absolutely copyright, bias, over-optimization, accuracy, yes, confidentiality, all of those things. But where the role of the communicator is, in my view, is going around the organization to the other functions and saying, how are we using this technology and bringing scenarios and saying, could this happen to us? Because a, if a human was in there setting the prices and a hurricane was approaching, they would kind of instinctively know, don't raise the prices. That's unethical. The computer doesn't know that. And I think the role of a role of comms is to help you know, sometimes you hear, I think it's a bit of a cheesy expression, but that comms is the conscience of the company. And I think this is a time, this is a moment in time where that is a, a role we should step into. Good advice. Um, in a previous episode of this podcast, we heard from Howard Pyle, who's a speaker at our spring seminar. He's dyslexic. And so he's talking about that there's no such thing as an average user. And he thinks generative AI and its ability to code will enable us to create tailored experiences for each individual on the fly. So you won't have just one app for everybody. Each person's app will be tailored to their unique needs and whatnot. And I thought that was really exciting and interesting just to think about the implications of that ability to personalize experiences in that way. And I want to ask each of you, thinking about the potential of AI, What's one thing that really excites you about it? Whether they're there, whether we're there or not, as you look into the future, what gets you really excited about its potential? Listen, I, I think AI is, is, is the latest, perhaps most powerful capability in a long line of technologies um, that have enabled uh, humans to uh, push back against approximation, guessing, averages, gut, tradition, superstition, 
uh, and things that were uh, not precise, uh, not accurate. And, and so while AI is like, wow, this whole new thing with machine learning and neural networks, uh, yes, that's true. And as we've discussed now at length, it is unique and very different. Um, but ultimately, the promise of this is to give us uh, a tool that will help us be more precise, more accurate, and more therefore more confident so that we our workforces truly will be more inclusive. Medical diagnoses will be more accurate. Disease progression will be known and therefore treated or stopped. Um, traffic jams will be predicted and forestalled. <laughs> Energy grids will not, you know, collapse. Uh, financial markets will not be so risky. Supply chains will not suffer you know, imbalances. Prices will reflect, you know, supply and demand more accurately and on and on. I mean, that's the promise here. Um, the risks are, are, are obvious, as we've discussed for, for some time. I'm excited about, about so much with AI. It's hard to narrow it down. Um, being a podcaster and a, and a talker and, and a internal events host and these kinds of things. And I'm really uh, very optimistic about my ability to talk about this stuff more, which is fun. Uh, but, but I'm really excited more about, I think there's a creative renaissance that's happening or about to happen um, that we may be overlooking. And, you know, there, of course, we talk about the, the positives and the negatives, the pros and the cons of, of AI and, you know, there are, there are copyright issues and so on. We, we get that. But even with that being the case, people who couldn't, you, you talked about somebody with dyslexia and now being able to, to, to kind of harness the tools that they would never have been able to do easily before. Um, this is, write that large, you know, scale that out a bit more and think about all the people who have amazing ideas and, and, visions, uh, creative visions, not, not the bad kind of vision, the creative kind of visions and have a, have an itch to scratch who now can try. And I think there's going to be more and more of this happening. More people who are, who are creating what you might want to call digital art. People who are set, who are writing more people who are building communities based on, you know, themes that they're now able to evolve into larger, larger kind of palettes that, that create use, that create larger experiences. Um, you know, I, I do think that um, you know that people who would normally not hold themselves up as creatives can now say, "Wait a second, you know, I, I can open up a whole new area of my of my mind." I have a very good friend and uh, who who is a podcaster who really had a lot of difficulty kind of building a, a digital presence for his own show, and he's he's excellent. ChatGPT came around. He said, wait a second, I can just kind of feed it my ideas and it will kind of, it'll build the content and I can even optimize it by asking it to. He is, uh, you know, he's dyslexic, built a website in two days, right? Has a fantastic community building, building, uh, building up now um, and his show rocks on. So just one example that would not have happened before. So I think, I think we're on the cusp of a creative renaissance. I feel like I'm part of that. I love, I love, love creating images. I haven't ever done that before my whole life. So I don't know. I, I think that's a, that's, that's what I'm most excited about. I'll give a society answer and a work answer. So, uh, 
I, I think uh, our lives are going to get better. You know, as technology gets better, I mean, for example, I don't have to get up to turn the lights off anymore. I can just tell my home assistant to do that. That's so great. Uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of technology improvements that can come uh, with AI. I, I mean, I lost, I lost my mother to ovarian cancer, so I think that the medical improvements are very, very exciting. Um, and I'm, you know, I think the preventative medicine, I think, can actually be so much more the forefront. You know, most medicine today kind of waits until something goes wrong and treats that. So I think there's a lot of really cool opportunities just because AI gives us a scale. You know, we talked about doctors earlier. There, there's never enough doctors for everyone. This can give us some scale uh, in all kinds of ways. So I think that's really, really um, exciting. Um, I also kind of hope it makes society better. I mean, I think some things came out of COVID that are potentially better for society. Obviously, a lot of very negative things, uh, but many things that we're debating today, like you know, working in an office, working at home, that kind of stuff. Um, I think AI has a lot of potential to maybe we can all just work a little bit less. You know, we were talking a lot about saving money. What if we didn't save money? We paid the same amount of money, but we just had 30 hour work weeks instead of 40 hour work weeks. I mean, I think that sort of stuff is possible with AI. Now we'll see if that kind of happens in society, right? But I think that those sort of things are possible. From a work perspective, um, you know, communications perspective, I'm really excited. This is kind of generic, but about the value comms is going to get to deliver to the enterprise. I think we're going to be really, really valuable. I think our counsel is going to be critical. And I think uh, if we step into the role, we have an opportunity to help our enterprises and organizations use AI to be transformative. Um, I, I think it's such a moment of opportunity for communications that, you know, to echo some of John's points that we haven't seen since the advent of, uh, you know, of the internet. That's it for this episode of The New CCO. We've been trying something new with this mini-series, bringing you a deep dive with a range of opinions on the issues impacting our profession. If you enjoyed this series on AI and would like to hear more episodes like this, or you have a suggestion for a topic we can cover in the future, please let us know. We'll see you next time on The New CCO. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at PAGE, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks to Rivet360, our podcast partner, without whose support, we simply would not be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.